from the heart of Dubai, where tomorrow is being built today to the world. Welcome to the CTO Show with Mehmet. Here, we redefine technology and reimagine possibilities. With Mehmet, delve into the riveting realms of AI, cybersecurity, and digital technology. Experience the thrilling highs and lows of startups. Immerse yourself in the spirit of entrepreneurship and witness the future of business innovation being written in real time. Now, without further ado, let's tune in and explore the future. Hello and welcome back to a new episode of the CTO Show with Mehmet. Today, I am very pleased to have with me, joining from the US, Tim. Tim, thank you very much for joining the show today. The way I love to do it is I keep it to my guests to introduce themselves, so the floor is yours. Well, perfect. Hey, thanks so much for, uh, for having me on. Really appreciate it. Uh, my name is Tim Tut. I'm the CEO and co-founder of a company called Nightshift Development. We build a data analytics product called ClearQuery. Appreciate you having me on today. Thank you very much again, Tim, for being here. So uh, this is something I always love to, to, I mean, I'm curious to know what you know, was the motive for you to be interested in this field of data analytics and then, you know, later on to establish your own company. So if you can like a little bit, tell me about the journey that led you to, to, to here. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I had a, a long background as a, uh, you know, computer science major in college. Um, my first job out of school was working uh, at a company called Indeca, um, which was a, um, a search and discovery solution. Um, that was a company that I worked with right out of school. Um, the entire intent was how do we help people filter and find interesting value in data. Um, I worked on behalf of that company uh, with uh, with some government clients and was doing implementation for large scale. How do we find needles and haystacks type thing? And that's really what started the journey on data analytics in particular. I'd been kind of in the tech field for a long time, but this got me a little bit more focusing on data analytics and search and discovery type things. Yeah, I kept, great. I kept rolling. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, Tim. So, Tim, you know, like now everyone says like everything is about the data and, you know, the, the, I'm trying here to simplify it because sometimes I have in my audience people who might not be familiar, not very tech-oriented, although like it's a CTO show. But I love to always to take one step back and, you know, highlight, and of course, I'm, I have now the expert with me today. So, you know, first of all, like, why actually we need, you know, to have data analytics? Why, why it's now, it's not like a, a uh, you know, something, okay, it's good to have. It's something you have to have. Yeah. Yeah. These days, uh, data analytics really provides a major competitive advantage. Um, so if you look at any kind of data that we collect, because we collect massive amounts um, things on user behaviors, things on, you know, buying patterns for individuals. Um, you know, how are, uh, you know, people attacking our systems, um, for instance, all of these things kind of roll up into data analytics, um, where we're trying to look at and find interesting patterns so that we can make better decisions at the end of the day. Um, so, you know, if you look at pretty much any industry, you're collecting some amount of data and you're using that data to make a better decision to improve your business outcomes. Um, so while a lot of people may look at things as kind of, hey, this is my intuitive approach uh, for how we drive um, 
how we try to drive business. Uh, we also need to have very, uh, very specific data-driven insights. So, you know, hey, more people in this category, um, you know, males, females, between this age range, buy these types of products. So here's how we need to actually, uh, you know, per how, here's how we need to market to those individuals. Here's what we need to do to get them to be enticed to buy other things. Great. I know, Tim, one area you like to, to, to discuss, and it's something part of, I would say, the mission that you are on, is to simplify, you know, another term like democratize, you know, um, data analytics to be accessible for even non-technical users. So uh, what inspired you, you know, to, to pursue this? And how do you see that can be changing the landscape of business intelligence? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that started for me uh, back in my days, again, supporting government customers. I played a role where I was the middleman between several hundred analysts and uh, their data. I was going and writing queries against supercomputer. They'd come and ask questions. We wash, rinse, repeat, give them more answers. They have more questions, more follow-ups. And really, you know, at that point, I realized that, hey, you know, I'm kind of the holdup here. Um, you know, between myself and the 13 others that we were uh, working with, you know, we had a, a small team that was supporting a lot of analysts. So really, we wanted to solve this problem where we got ourselves out of the way but it also enabled us to kind of go work on harder problems. So myself and co my co-founder uh, started the company really to focus on that issue. At the end of the day, you know, I believe technology is meant to make things easier for people. Uh, and if it's too complex where only your most technical users can use it, we're not doing a good enough job here. Uh, so Clearberry really is designed on that principle of democratizing data analytics and making it simple for any user, no matter their technical skill level, to get value from their data. Um, that means your subject matter experts don't have to go and learn a bunch of technical skills to you know, find the interesting patterns, develop the charts, or make those data-driven decisions that they need to make. Yeah, that's that's great. And you know, of course, especially in, in, in times like we are living at now, it's crucial that everyone is able to, you know, to access these without, you know, spending a lot of uh, maybe time and money on, on getting, you know, to, to the, I would say, uh, expensive stuff. But at the same time, I know you, you also focus on helping and empowering the data stakeholders, right? So first, let, let's discuss, like, who are these stakeholders, right? And how, you know, the solution that you develop can help them, whether, you know, I know you're going to mention who are the stakeholders, but mainly, I mean, I mean maybe data analysts, uh, uh, scientists. So how, how, you know, you can empower them and what, I would say, business outcome, uh, you know, they can expect once they are empowered to, to deal with the data. Yeah, absolutely. So when, when you're looking at you know data scientists, data engineers in particular, Clipper does provide a lot of value there for those tech, those more technical users. You're you're talking about accelerating the time it takes for them to immediately triage that data. So if you're in the data science profession, um, if you're looking for interesting patterns for you to go and uh, build your models on top of, 
ClearQuery helps you find those without you having to go and write a bunch of code to do that or do a lot of experimentation. We're going to highlight some of those insights for you right out of, right off the um, bat. As a data engineer, and we actually do this for ourselves, first time we get a data set, one of the things that we look at is, hey, how clean is this data set? Um, do we have data that is mismatched um, across the board? Um, in one case, we got a data set where it said, hey, there are uh, 63 states in the United States. And obviously that's not correct, but that was because the data wasn't clean, it was hand jammed in. So we, know, we knew we needed to go and clean that field up for people to actually be able to get value from their data. Um, helps to solve this garbage in, garbage out problem at the end of the day. So we, you know, for data scientists, data engineers, for your more technical users, it really does help to drive some of those behaviors. If you really start working at you know, application developers or product managers, you can start analyzing um, user behaviors in your application in a very uh, simple way. What features are being used the most? Where are people encountering the most errors? So that we can drive from there. As you move a little bit down the stack to your, your data analyst and your uh, subject matter experts in a particular arena, maybe it's in marketing, maybe it's in sales, they can start to ask these questions in very simple ways so they can get the value that they need. Hey, how many deals did we have that are coming from, let's call it facebook.com uh, in the last you know, 30 days? What's the makeup of the individuals that were coming from there? And are those things converting? You know, what sites are we getting the highest conversion rates from? And they're able to ask those questions without needing to go and learn SQL, without needing to have days and weeks of training on a particular platform. Yeah, that's great. And out of curiosity, Tim, do you can deal with any kind of uh, uh, data source? Yeah, so we, we have a couple of uh, immediate data sources that we work with out of the box. Um, if your data is in Elasticsearch, we you know plug directly into that. Um, we can also pull from SQL, MySQL, SQL Server. Um, but you can also upload a raw CSV or Excel file and start getting value from that um, right, off the, right off the jump. Um, if you have a data source that we you know don't already support uh, out of the box, um, we can go and build a connector for it, and we're continuing to build those connectors um, as we're uh, as we're building the tool here. Yeah, that's very cool, really. And you know, because again, I was telling you before we uh, we started the, this episode that I work in consultancy, and sometimes you know I hear a lot of initiatives, and you know the question number one. You know, I hear, okay, what's the data source that you are using? And, you know, nowadays yeah. it's like very fragmented, I believe. Um, so, you know, back to, to bridging the technical gap. Like, of course, you know, this is something you, you, you are doing with the team, you know, to, to bridge it, as we say. Now, but of course there are some challenges down the road, right? So what like, are the major challenges you see when you try to get this you know, non-technical business users to start to, you know, understand, you know, the value and, you know, what are the approaches you use to address these challenges? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when we first started the the company and when we first launched ClearQuery, one of our core features was this feature that allowed people to ask questions in plain language. Um, you know, ask the question in English, hey, you know, what is the breakdown of uh, traffic by referral source? type thing. And it comes back to this beautiful chart and you're able to start interacting with that and drilling in. Now, one of the first immediate pieces of feedback that we got from the very early customer was, 
hey, great that I can ask these questions of my data, but I don't always know what to ask. I don't even know where to start. How do I move uh, you know, forward with that? So as we, uh, we kind of took a look at that, we took a bigger step back and said, okay, well, what if users didn't have to ask questions? What if we could surface interesting insights for them to start looking at right off the bat? So there's a capability inside of ClearQuery that we call automated insights that does just that. From the second you upload your data set, it starts doing some quick analysis and highlighting interesting, statistically relevant data points that you can uh, start drilling into. Hey, um, did you know that the, the top referral source is Facebook and it's about 30% you know, more often than, uh, than Twitter.com or something like that. So you'll get those insights right off the bat. Great. Now, out of curiosity, like, do you use NLP, natural language processing, them? We do. Um, so we, we started doing this. We started the company in 2017. So it's kind of been a core of our, uh, our product offering here. But yeah, we're doing some natural language understanding to identify the intent and then some entity extraction to figure out, okay, what are the things that we need to go and build the right query against the data source, run that against the data source. And as that data comes back, we're able to kind of automatically <clears throat> determine the right type of visualization to show to that user. Great. Now, the, maybe I'm sure that you have prepared me to be asking this question with all this hype and, you know, noise or whatever you want to call it about AI, you know, because people started to mix things up, right? You know, between what AI actually is and uh, generative AI and data analytics. But you know, now with all what's happening around us, and we we started to see, you know, the for example, Microsoft with the Copilot approach, and we start to see like everyone trying to leverage the data. So where? Do you see, you know, the intersection between, and of course, a lot of part of it is data science, which everyone I think knows, but from your perspective, Tim, what are you seeing, you know, the intersections, where are you seeing things that are, you know, headed in the future, especially when AI, you know, comes to, to data analytics? Yeah, absolutely. Look, all of these things really, they're, they're very much so all about the data at the end of the day, you know, data drives any model that you're building from um, a machine learning perspective. So when you talk generative AI, those are trained tra on massive amounts of data, massive amounts of text. Um, you know, how do we do predicting what the next right word is to answer a question? You know, it feels like magic at the end of the day. It feels like your, your generative chatbots that are out there um, actually know the answer, but it's actually just doing simple math on the back end here. What's really interesting, though, is, you know, with OpenAI and the rise of, you know, language models across the board, you know, large language models across the board, we're starting to see kind of these new trends of how we can leverage those things for data analytics. So as a part of our own roadmap internally, we're looking at how we can identify not large language models, but smaller language models that we can embed in our application for focused, specific tasks, things like hey, I've got a raw PDF document or a bunch of Word documents, and I want to you know, get some analytics out of that. Well, sure, we can do the standard metadata uh, extraction approach and help you analyze your file types, but that's not as interesting. What would be more interesting is if we can extract things like people, places, organizations 
out of that data for you so that you can analyze based on those uh, bits of uh, data points. Or how do we do things like translation on the fly inside of the application so that you don't necessarily need to know the, uh, the source language of your data uh, and you can ask questions and drill in and still get those answers you know, in an appropriate way. So there's a lot of intersection with, you know, how AI is kind of how, you know, machine learning models, I'll say, because none of this is really true AI, um, you know, how these things interact with data analytics in particular. Yeah. Just, you know, also like, again, I'm, I'm, you, you know what, uh, Tim, if someone comes from engineering background, you're curious by design, I would say. So. When, when I was trying, you know, the first time when uh, OpenAI released uh, what they used to call it, the code interpreter, now they call it data analysis, actually. So mm-hmm. I tried to give some open source data sets and, you know, I started, I'm not a data scientist by any means, but, you know, I started to, I took a course back in the days about Python and these things. Sure. So do you think like here, for example, the, the AI can help us actually, and especially again, back to the point of non-technical, um, uh, you know, business owners of, of or line of business. So maybe it can help them to ask the right question, you know, when they deal with the data. So for example, I gave a data set about uh, the real estate in Dubai and they have to open data, the transaction and so on. And then it, it started to suggest to me what kind of things it can do, you know? So do you, do you see this as something, you know, can, you know, go more in the future and become also kind of autopilot kind of, of, of thing? So you don't need the, the layer of the data. I don't, I'm not sure it's data scientist, but the layer which is before the data scientist. Yeah, no, I think that's actually a you know, really interesting point. And one of the things that we're also um, diving into, how do we get to these automated recommendations? How do we predict the questions that people are going to want to know before they even ask the questions, just based off of the data that they have. Here are the things that you should care about um, immediately. So short answer is yes. I think we're still a little ways away from that though. Um, and in a large part, it's just because, um, you know, some of these things require a lot of deep internal business knowledge and depending on how that business operates, it may or may not um, use certain techniques or use certain approaches for how they um, run against things. Doesn't mean you can't do it in a general sense. And I, I think AI is going to help with those things. One of the big challenges we have though is understanding how these models work under the covers. A lot of the things that you see today are very much so black boxes, which means that we're running into this issue of, hey, how do I know how you came up with that answer and if that's actually accurate? Did you give me a real an answer that I can validate, or is this something that I'm just going to have to trust blindly? And that's something that we really need to advance before people can rely on those automatic recommendations. Yeah, great uh, one, Tim. I I, yeah, I like this approach. But you know, when I was preparing, I saw that you have you know like you did software security also before, and. So of course, like everyone concerned when it comes to data is about how we secure all this. So how important is also like while dealing with data to keep it, you know, secure and you make sure that you, you know, uh, conserve the privacy and all these things. So if you can shed the light a little bit on, on these important aspects also, which usually people, they don't talk much about. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, no, keeping data secure is immensely important. And this is actually one of the big challenges that we're seeing right now with OpenAI and ChatGPT. You have this issue, you had this issue very early on where people were feeding their corporate data in, and there were yeah. two major leaks that occurred um, where, you know, companies, private confidential information was being leaked to the public because they were feeding this into chat TPT. Now, what the immediate knee-jerk reaction is for most companies is to say, hey, no one is allowed to use chat GPT. No one's allowed to use OpenAI. And I don't know that that's necessarily the right answer, but it does become um, a, a, a bigger question of what data do we want to share with these open platforms? One of the bigger challenges with you know things like OpenAI's um, uh, setup is, hey, it's an it's a open API. Um, it requires a lot of resources to run. So in order for you to leverage it, you wouldn't be able to kind of pull that behind firewall without spending a lot of money on um, a number of different resources. So people have to find this balance between, you know, what's actually secure? What do I really care about? Um, and what can I do to get value from these platforms at the end of the day? So one of the things that we focus on um, with our product in particular, you can deploy high firewalls and public private clouds. We never have to see your data um, at all. Uh, you don't ever have to share anything with us. And that's in large part because of the techniques that we're using for um, the natural language understanding and intent understanding. They aren't massively resource intensive. So it allows you to have a lot of that security and privacy in your data. Um, I was actually just reading an article uh, last night where the the new um, uh, chat assistants that uh, ChatGP has opened, there are certain ways where you can ask questions and say, hey, I want to get the raw data that the uh, author used to build this in, in the beginning, and ChatGPT will return that for you. Um, so lots of concerns with how you, you start to lose your competitive advantage that way. If you're losing the data that you use to build out this model, um, that becomes more of a, uh, more of an issue for you in general. So, you know, data security and privacy is a, is a major, major concern, um, in all analytics solutions. And it's something that we always recommend that people take a big, deep look at when they're uh, trying to determine, you know, what platforms and what tools to use in their organization. Yeah, and by the way, Tim, just, you know, as a, as a side note, because of this approach that you took, I can, I can tell you, like, uh, if you one day you decide to, to, to expand in my area here, they would love it because, you know, although like we have the hyperscaler, they have local data centers and so on, but in some, and of course, I know it's in the States, it's the same. In Europe, with the GDPR, it's the same. You know, for some industries, the data should stay within. Absolutely. Yeah, so this is big plus, I would say, for you. I can tell you this right away. Yeah. Um, but, but uh, you know, like you just one thing about, because you mentioned something about the search and you mentioned Elasticsearch, right? Yeah. So um, it's... Is this something that when you deploy the solution, you know, that can happen in the background? So again, I don't need to be a wizard or an expert in, in, in Elasticsearch and all these terms. Is that right? Yep, that's exactly right. So what we're doing and we, we provide, you know, as we're setting it up, we'll set up that Elasticsearch cluster for you. 
as a part of an implementation. And it's usually a very quick implementation. Um, but one of the things that we do is we're actually translating the questions that you're asking into Elasticsearch queries and everything that we're doing, we're building that on the fly for you so that you don't have to even know what Elasticsearch is or, you know, even how to spell Elasticsearch um, at the end of the day. Yeah, great to know this, Tim. Now I want a little bit to shift gears, okay, and talk about the entrepreneurial uh, aspect of your journey, Tim, which is honestly, it's very, you know, fantastic results and knowing that you you bootstrapped the company and achieved 160% year over year growth so you know i'm 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 sure this is a dream of every founder out there so like first why you decided to bootstrap and not raise any funds in the in the beginning and the second you know thing what were if if and just i'm asking this question to shed some light also for other founders who, you know, the first thing they think about before doing any any other task is going and raise funds. So if you can a little bit, you know, give us some hints and strategies that worked for you also as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so starting the company and when we were starting the company, you know, both myself and my co-founder, we wanted to kind of maintain control over the direction, the technical direction of what we were doing and also kind of the internal strategies for how we were going to build up the company. And when you take on money, one of the big challenges that you have is you now have other bosses and those other bosses are very focused on growth, 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 and growth at all costs. We wanted to grow, but we wanted to grow in a way that was scalable for us that enabled us to kind of say, this is what we want to focus on now. We can focus on the customers and we don't have to focus. We can focus on solving these problems that those customers have and build interesting, cool technology to solve those problems, um, you know, very quickly. That, um, that was really kind of the driving factor from us, you know, bootstrapping also allowed us to kind of maintain ownership of that company. Um, the way we kind of went about it was we started off very much so doing heavy services work in the beginning. Um, you know, helping people with their data and manually going through and helping them process it, do the data engineering work, all of those different types of things to kind of keep the lights on. Um, the reason the name of the company is Night Shift Development is because we were kind of working these day jobs to kind of pay bills, keep lights on, and then at night building out product. Wow, like this is really inspiring, Tim. Uh, and yeah, majority of the time when I ask anyone about why you bootstrap, they come up with uh, similar answers. Uh, it's about like not being under the pressure of uh, of investors. And uh, second, yeah, like not all the time. I believe you need you don't need really sometimes to to get funding, especially yeah. if you have some. You know, you have your runways, and you know, like you you have your customers. One thing I'm interested about, Tim. So for you, you know. You are in a, you know, the company is in a hot uh, vertical, I can say. So everyone needs this. But there must be something that you kept hearing from customers that also encouraged you that, okay, I should continue. What I'm curious in other way, if I want to ask the question, like how you, did you validate it that, yes, there is enough market for what you're trying to do and actually customers need this. So again, like, what strategies have you used and, you know, how you were able to, to, to know that, 
yeah, I have product market fit actually. Yeah, you know, this is actually one of the interesting things. When we um when we first started the company, it was very much of the game of okay, we have to be secretive about the product that we're building and all these different types of things. One of the things that I've learned and that I, I continue to um preach now today is when you've got an idea, you should talk about it all the time to everyone. And the more people you talk to, the more feedback you're gonna get and the more you're gonna see you know, whether or not you're really solving a problem that people care about or not. Um, go out and demo, go out and show things at uh, conferences. And that was one of the things that we did early on. I was showing early prototypes of Clear Query um, at conferences, which allowed us to really um, drive and focus on, you know, what things that we needed to kind of continue to build out. So getting that customer feedback really drives where your product development efforts um, go in, in, in the early days. And before you, you know, actually have a paying customer, you know, you're, you're really focused on the feedback of people around you. That said, you also have to have that conviction that what you're building is the right thing. Um, because you will hear a lot that, oh, I don't know that this is necessarily needed or how is this different from something else? And you have to be mm -hmm. able to have that conviction to say, no, this path is different. And even though I'm hearing a lot of, you know, hey, no, or I don't think this is great, or you're wasting your time type thing, I have to know that this is the right path and we have to keep driving on that. So it's about, I would say, persistence also as well and perseverance, right? Um, yeah, but definitely like this is very inspiring, Tim, I would say your, your journey and the success uh, that you had, and it's a proof, I would say, that guys not all not always go, you know, the same route that it's not for you. Because I I can see them that you choose something which is unique for your offering and for your vision and mission with the, with the co-founder uh, of your company, which is great. And I think here, which is also I want to hear your opinion about now when when you were working, you know, in, in a corporate job or you have a day job, so. Of course, like you start to think about, okay, I need to have a leadership skill. I need to be innovative. But when you are working on your own, as we call it, baby, actually, because this company becomes your baby. So how, you know, you, the, which leadership principles, you know, you, you try to focus on and, you know, foster uh, within and again, to inspire your, your technical um, team and, you know, you know, get this business really to this great success. So what are the key principles you have used and you have seen successful uh, growing the company? Yeah, um, the, the short answer there is all of them. Um, no, I, I think there are a couple of key ones in particular. Um, one, you know, what we look for is hustle. When we're hiring, I'm looking for people that, you know, can really, they even if they don't necessarily have a skill set right off the bat, I have the conviction and the confidence that they will be able to go and learn that and build off on top of that, um, that they will be able to do what they need to do, that they're really interested and passionate about a project or something that they are involved in and that they like solving problems in interesting ways. But there's this other big thing that we really focus on, and that's giving people the freedom and space to operate without them needing to necessarily mother may I. So if you've got an interesting idea, go and try it. We want to enable, we want to allow our team members to kind of go and try things and bring new ideas to the table. Even if they, as everyone knows what the 
core vision is. So being super transparent is a, is a key um, facet for us. Um, you know, being super transparent, enabling our team so that we can all drive in the right direction. These are kind of key things that we focus on as a, as a leadership team. Great. And I believe them also, maybe uh, if you can shed a little bit light, I hear always from founders that, you know, the thing that made also this works for them is themselves being able to learn skills like sales and marketing and this stuff. So how important is, and especially for like technical founders like yourself, Tim, and I know from myself, because if you ask me like 10 years back or 12 years back about sales marketing, I knew nothing. So how this is very important also when starting your, your own company. Yeah, you know, uh, one thing I always say now is uh, CEO's number one job is sales. Um, yeah, technical founder, technical background, never really done sales before. So a lot of it was, you know, learning on the fly. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of different sales approaches. The sales piece is the most important thing because your job is revenue at the end of the day. And especially when you're bootstrapping, revenue matters above all else. So how do we get in front of the right customers? And a lot of this boils down to, hey, I am asking and talking to people. What you'll find is when you start a company, and this is you know definitely my experience, I reached out to almost everyone in my Rolodex and said, hey, I'm starting a company. Here's what I'm doing. I'd love to talk to you about it if you're interested. And everyone is willing to help out in some way or another. Whether or not they become a customer, they, they may become a customer, but they also may just know someone in their network that needs what you have. And that becomes a very, very important facet of all of this. Learning how to do the marketing piece is also a very, very major um, issue because that's where you start to scale. Um, you have to you know, kind of get the sales motions down first, but then, okay, how do we market this so that we can scale this in a very effective way? Yeah, great, great points. Now, you know, I stopped to introduce these questions. Maybe they are a little bit uh, cliche, but I, I, I'm curious also myself. So did you have, Tim, like any idol founder uh, in, in the tech space that you said, okay, like, you know, he's, he's or she's my idol. Did you have someone uh, when you decided to start your journey? I, I don't know if I had one specific kind of idol, but I had a lot of founders that I uh, leaned on their experiences from as I was starting my journey. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg are always, you know, very interesting ones and their founder stories are, you know, very fascinating um, in particular. There are others like, uh, you know, Mark Randolph was one of the co-founders of um, Netflix. Um, you know, those are really interesting stories and seeing how those journeys kind of played out for them is very fascinating. There's a book that I always, um, tend to recommend that, you know, was also a big, uh, piece of my journey as it's getting started called the hard thing about the hard thing, the hard thing about hard things. Um, but, um, you know, that book in particular, um, I just provided a lot of interesting founder stories and challenges that you'll run into, but providing a lot of good um, tips on how to engage and work with those challenges as you're moving through and figure out what the next best move is. Um, I go back and refer to it all the time these days. Yeah, 
it's good because you you answered the second question about the book if you would recommend and it's it's a good recommendation actually um you know like also how important tim is to have a mentor as well yeah i think you know it's definitely important to have outside advisors um and you know whether it's you know a specific mentor or it's a number of other advisors that you can lean on um, for me, I had a number of folks that I had worked with in the past that had, you know, provided some advice when, you know, I'm running into a hard issue when I'm running into an issue on, Hey, how do I get this deal closed? I'm running into this issue with this customer or, you know, Hey, I'm dealing with this issue with this employee. What's the right way for me to approach this? How do I help make this better? Because I'll tell you, you know, people challenges become one of the big things when you start growing a company. Um, and that, that becomes a really interesting thing, uh, dynamic to try to navigate. Yeah, that's great. And, um, you know, what's the vision or the long-term mission, let's call Tim for, for, for you, like, I mean, for the company. Yeah. I mean, we're going to continue on our, our overall mission of democratizing data analytics. How do we make this simple as possible for anyone to get value from their data? You know, we're trying to take down some of our bigger competitors, those like Tableau and Power BI, et cetera, and really start to eat up some of that market space because we really do believe we have a differentiated solution that enables people in a very effective way um, to get value from their data. Great. You know, uh, I get excited. You know, I'm, I'm passionate, as I was telling you before we, we start like about startups and scale ups. You, I think you are a scale up now, not say startup anymore. But I can see you still have the, the spirit of a, of a startup um, founder, Tim, and uh, a lot of things you shared today. Now, this it's not a tricky question by any means, but is there anything that, you know, I should have discussed with you? I asked you and I missed it. <laughs> you know, no, I think we, we covered a lot of ground here, um, a lot of good, interesting uh, areas. Um, I think one thing I would, uh, you know, quickly note um, is, you know, Listen, and as you're kind of, if you've got entrepreneurs on on the uh, on your listener list that are kind of going at this, one of the big things that I always say, because um, this is the hardest part um, for anyone, is just start. Getting off go is the hardest part. Um, once you get off go, you start to figure everything else out. You don't need to have it all figured out from the beginning. Just start, and you'll figure it out as you kind of move along. Yeah, exactly. You know, this is something I also repeat and I tell them, take me as example. I didn't start early enough. I did the mistake, you know, and just go start. This is what I tell people also as well. Tim, like really, I enjoyed the conversation today. Before, you know, we close, where we can find more about you and about Nightship? Yeah, absolutely. So if you're uh, if you're interested, you can head over to clearquery.io. Um, that's our our website, you can find out more about um, our product and night shift there on the website. Um, I am on all of the uh, socials as uh, Tim Tut, um, so you should be able to find me um, across all the platforms. One exception is on, I guess they call it X now. Um, I am Tim F. Tut there, <laughs> but um, <laughs> pretty easy to find me around. Yeah, honestly speaking, usually when I put in the show notes, of course, I would put the company um, URL and I put the LinkedIn profile only because I believe, you know, like it's just, it's kind of a professional X I use, but I'm not so active there, honestly. So uh, Same. Unless, the, unless the guest asks me, can you, can we put also like the profile of, of 
Twitter or X, whatever we want to call it. I said, well, of course, like, I have no issues. But yeah, so LinkedIn also is the place for me where people can find yes. me more. Of course, I will put the, the um, you know the links in the show notes. And again, Tim, thank you very much for being with me today. And um, I enjoyed the conversation. And I'm sure the audience, both who are interested in data analytics, they will they will find a lot of uh, you know uh, knowledge in that. And of course, the bigger audience for me, which are entrepreneurs and startup founders, they will also find a lot of uh, useful information. And this is how we close the episodes usually. So thank you for everyone who tuned in today. If you are a first time you know, visitor here, thank you for passing by. I hope that you become a loyal fan. And for the loyal fans, thank you again for all your feedbacks, for your messages, and for your recommendations and suggestions. And if you are interested to be on the show, like you have this super cool idea, you have built something and you are not finding the space of the PR there. So please reach out so we can arrange a session. We can do a, a recording, same as Tim was on the show today. Time zone is not a difference. So I have audience globally. I can say this. I can claim that. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for tuning in. We'll meet again very soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for having me, man. Hit that subscribe button. Share the show with your tech-savvy friends and fellow entrepreneurs. And leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Your support means the world to us.